The How To Academy podcast is the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. They host exclusive in-depth interviews with world-leading scholars, artists, scientists, and entrepreneurs, exploring new ideas for understanding and changing our world. Past guests include Bill Clinton, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elizabeth Gilbert, Daniel Kahneman, Marina Abramovich, Malcolm Gladwell, Michael Lewis, Joyce Carol Oates, Gabor Mate, Chelsea Manning, and many more. That's the How To Academy podcast, to the word, not the numeral, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Welcome to Artificiality. This is Dave Edwards. In this episode, I interview Arash Ranama, the head of applied AI research at Modzi, an AI platform and marketplace business. We discuss techniques for providing explainability in AI, how to pair explainability and fairness to reduce bias, how AI goes wrong, and how incorporating diverse teams can provide important prior knowledge into AI systems and more effectively govern them in the wild. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Harash. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining the podcast. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be able to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Good. If you could start off with giving our listeners a little bit of a, uh, an understanding of what Modzi is and what you do at Modzi. Sure. Um, Modzi is more of a software product with two main components. Um, one is the platform itself, and the other one is what we call the marketplace of pre-trained AI models. Um, you can think of the marketplace as the app store for AI models, where you have a specific data set and specific task that you want to accomplish. And you can go on our platform and purchase an AI model that does that for you. Um, let's say you have a large document set of text in a specific language, and you would like to transfer that into English. Uh, you go on our platform, you find our translation AI model, and you purchase that for your data set and use it. Um, the platform itself is what, what these models are run against. Um, so it's, um, it provides you security, scalability, um, speed, um, and added benefits such as governance and other things that you would need if you have your own data science, a, a data science model or AI model that you want to use for like a very large, um, task or long-term project. Um, so you can use our platform to have your data science teams develop their own customizable models, and then they add that to our platform and utilize our platform for their specific use case. Um, so those are the two main components of Modzi. Um, and we, then we have all like, uh, we have all these, um, different features, added features that we add to our platform and to our models. We work and what is called adversarial defense. Um, so we train and develop models that are resilient against adversarial attacks. They're harder to get hacked, basically. And we also work on explainability. So we have AI models that make a lot of predictions on large data sets. How do you explain the decision-making process that these models go through to establish trust, to establish a level of performance that's expected, to show if there are any biases in the data set? And so those are added features that we add to our platform and our models. Some of them our clients can use against their own models. 
and some of them are baked into the pre-trained AI models that we add to Monty. And what kind of uh, what kind of technical knowledge or expertise, what kind of data science knowledge do the users of the marketplace need to have? So the way that our platform is designed, um, it's not necessary to have technical knowledge or technical data science knowledge to use our platform. Uh, every model that we have has technical details as to how this model was trained, what type of data set it was trained on, what type of performance it achieves. So if you have data scientists who want to use our platform and our model, they can read the, the, the knowledge and learn how these models were trained to figure out how to use the model itself. Um, but if you are, you're coming from a software engineering background or less data science background, you can just use our API platform. It's very clearly defined for each model and you can just probe our model. You can send a data point and get a prediction on the other end. And you do not need to have any knowledge of data science and how AI works. I want to pick up on something you just mentioned, which was uh, the research that you're doing into how to make uh, AI models, uh, or perhaps it's the use of those models, more explainable. Give me, give me some understanding of where you're digging into that particular topic. Um, so the way we are looking at explainability when it comes to AI is that we think that if we can explain how these models make their predictions, then we can both eliminate bias and also improve performance itself. Um, so what has happened in our field over the last 10 years or so is that we've designed a lot of algorithms that are getting trained fast to get to the performance that we want. We haven't really focused on how these models make the predictions they make. Are they learning features in the same way that, let's say, human eyes learns to classify uh, objects in an image? Are they really ra ra rationalizing or processing information the same way that we do? Um, in a lot of cases, that's not the case. So what we can do, we can use explainability to, for example, see if a classification model is classifying a specific image into a specific category. Is it looking at the pixels? that we would look at to make that prediction. Um, if not, how can we move, how, how can we make the model learn in the way so it's more um, human-like or it's more um, optimized for not only performance and making correct predictions, but also extrapolating features that make sense because then we have learned that that, that gives us added benefit against um, generalizability. So models that are uh, performing in the way that's expected. And when we look, look at the explanations of how these models make their predictions and they make sense, they tend to be less biased. They tend to be more resilient, resi resilient against attacks and they tend to be less biased. So we see all of this connected to each other. Um, adversarial robustness, explainability, retraining and training, generalizability, um, ethics and bias. We, we feel like these are all connected. This is one big problem that we need to solve. And we try to like work on these different components so that we can get to that point where when you train these models, they get, they, they, they're less biased, they perform better, but at the same time, they learn better as well. 
How do you think about providing explainability when you're handling a, a marketplace-based model? So you put a uh, there's a model that's in your marketplace, and any number of companies could sign in and use that with their data. And we know that the data that exists could be biased coming into the process. How do you how do you discover the bias or, or how do you explain what's happening and whether the model is learning in a biased way uh, when you're dealing with such diverse um, uh, data sets? Sure. Um, so there's, there's a mathematic side to this question and then there's a practical side. Okay. Practical side is what you, what you mentioned. There are different data sets and different tasks and usually going from one model to another model you, you have a different set of problems you're solving. Mathematically, all these data sets are just numbers. And you translate a data set into numbers, and then you make a prediction, and then look at the, then you look at the prediction, you look at the explanations that you come up with, and then you map that to the numbers in the input data set. And then you can map that to the features and then learn how that prediction is affected by specific features. So for example, you have male, female feature as an input, or you have age as an input. At the end of the day, what the model looks at is the number. Um, if it's male, female, it's usually zero and one. If it's age, it's another number. And then when you explain the relationship between the predictions and those features, you can also see what features the model is, is putting emphasis on to make a specific predictions. And then you can track that bias in, in the explanations of your model predictions over a data set to see, oh, if a candidate is male, they usually get qualified for larger loan value, for example. Um, so you can actually look at that for all these specific cases and all these features going from images to tabular data to language. And are you doing this kind of analysis at the uh, sort of the beginning of the process when Somebody starting to use a model with with uh, with a data source, or does this extend on into the use? So is it you know I'm starting it out? I'm training my data. I'm training the model. I want to actually see whether I want to understand and and I want the model to be explainable during that process. Or is it something that continues on so that while new data is coming in and the AI is out in the wild, you're also trying to explain it then? That's a great question. Uh, both. Okay. So during training, we can use explainability to improve performance. And we define performance as not only making correct predictions, but also not being biased. Also learning uh, across different features. Also being resilient against attacks. Um, also being able to generalize. When you use explainability, and when you can actually train your model so the model does not rely on specific features such as male, female, or age, and actually looks at like how you and I would make predictions, actually look at the context of the input and all the features, then we can show that these models also like perform better in other fields and generalize better. During inference for users, then that, so like you cannot eliminate bias 100%. Um, let's say we have trained our model, we've used explainability, our model is less biased, we've done our best, and now the user is using that model, pre-trained model, for their data set. Then they can use our explainability platform to figure out the bias in the predictions they're receiving under a specific data set. And then, based on that, make the final decision as to 
what the final prediction should be or if the bias is to the extent that they have to consider a new data set or remove some of the features. We frequently give uh, workshops to help people understand AI. This is mostly focused on uh, people who aren't um, technical, who don't have a data science background, but helping them become a participant in the AI process. And one of the things that we like to highlight is examples where AI goes wrong, at least the phrase that we use. Yes. And one of the, one of the, one of the ones that, we, that stands out is when uh, an AI makes a, uh, an inaccurate p- uh, prediction based on something in an image that we as humans actually didn't see and didn't understand. So the sort of the big scale famous example might be uh, the example where uh, an AI was used to evaluate melanoma and it turned out that it wasn't predicting that it was that there was melanoma in the image. It was predicting that there was a ruler in the image, right? Or it turns out that it wasn't the AI uh, accurately um, diagnosing the melanoma. It was that the AI was accurately diagnosing the presence of a ruler in the image because a doctor will put a ruler in an image with a melanoma that expands, right? Exactly. Um, we use we use an example in our workshops. Where we show pictures of dogs and. There's an inaccurate prediction because people will see, you know, see that the AI, you know, sorted the pictures of dogs, uh, but actually it's catching something that's in the image with one set of dogs versus not the set of dogs. Exactly. If the dog is in front of a car as opposed to in front of a building. Exactly. That's how they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, how might you explain that? To, how might you uh, identify that problem and that mistake and explain it to people? So we have. So this is exactly one of the focuses of our team. So what it. So what we've all data scientists for the last ten years or so. We we were looking to train models that get trained fast and make 99% accurate predictions on thousands of images or thousands, like thousands of text documents. And what we were optimizing for for the last 10 years was this performance, this type of performance. So as long as I'm classifying that picture of a dog, 99% of the time, 98%, um, then I'm good enough. We didn't actually look into how these predictions are made. Now that we're using AI more commonly, we are learning that in a lot of cases, these models do not learn in the same way that we do. And they don't make predictions in the same manner that we make predictions. The, the case, the, the example you use, there are actually like research out there where there is a cat in front of a building and you can, the model is looking at the building and classifying that as a picture of a cat. But then if you place the same cat in front of a car, then you're, you're misclassifying that image into the dog category, for example. And that's not okay. And what we've been working on is you can, is how to train these AI models. So if like in the case of like these images, they don't just look at the building. They also look at the cat itself and they look at um, the flooring. They look at the environment. They can make a prediction in the context of everything that's inside that image. And we have actually designed training approaches uh, for image classification, object detection models, where we we can actually show using explainability that our models do not make the same mistake, and they actually look at the context. And this is a growing field in AI, 
And it's something that people have started working on. How do you update parameters within an AI model during training? So not only are you optimizing for that uh, prediction value or like that classification uh, decision, but you're also optimizing for the model looking at the context of the image, the model not being biased, um, the model learning um, all the important features and not over relying on a specific set of pixels or features. Um, so like you can, you can, we've, we've started this new way of training as a field. Um, to like look at a more um, holistic way of learning and training so that the models don't end up at a point where you see cases like that, the failures like that. And how do you uh, explain the why behind the prediction? So I used to have a great fun taking some of the uh, image recognition systems that you can access online and uh, and I try to stump the algorithm, right? So uh, I, and I put a, an image from a camping trip, uh, you know, into the image system, and I, I'd get trees, I'd get lake. It wouldn't recognize the hammock, and it frequently saw the, the the mist on the lake as snow. So now I know that it's wrong because I can look at it and I can say that's mist, that's not snow, and it didn't understand what a hammock was, so it's obviously missing something that was kind of the center of the of the picture. Yes, but I don't understand why it made those decisions. Are you able to get to that why and explain it to uh, someone who's not uh, as deep into the math as you might be? Yes. So that's the the, the point of our explainability. So in your case, every single object in that image would be its own segment and our explainability model would explain the relationship between these different objects and tell you which objects affected the prediction more than the other objects. And then when you look at these explanations, then you're like, oh, I can see why the model made that mistake. Mm. It, it kind of makes sense to you if you're looking at the AI model as as a machine at the end of the day that's that's trained by our the directions we give to the machine and then you can go back and look at uh, create a new data set or change some things about the weights within your model so that that mistake doesn't happen again um, we had so for example we have a picture from ImageNet is a large data set that people usually use and there's this image of a cat in front of a mirror um, and there are, it seems like there are two cats in the picture, but there's only one cat really. And some of these models predict two different cats in that image. And obviously you and I would look at that image and think there's only one cat in this image. Um, so what we can show our with our explainability approach is we can segment that image and we can actually show you how that model is making that prediction that there are two cats. Uh, you can show that the segment that includes the first cat and the reflection of the same cat um, are prioritized by the model before the segment that includes the mirror itself. So the model makes its decision before it gets to the mirror. It, it, it's making its decision based on the first two cats that it sees. And then you can go back and retrain the model so this mistake doesn't happen. And for each, do your customers get to have their own instance of the model in the marketplace so that they can train it specifically on their, on their data on, and for instance, on their images, if their images are slightly different from others or have a different 
you know, have different issues with it? Are they able to uh, have their own instance of the model to train? Modsy is not a training platform. Um, we have pre-trained AI models that generalize very well. Like they generalize across data sets and across tasks well. Um, um, so we've done that part of work as a data science team at Modsy, but we provide a retraining platform for our clients so that they can retrain our pre-trained AI model for a short time under a specific data set to transfer that knowledge from what our model knows to the knowledge it requires on their data set for the task that they require, the type of performance they expect. And this retraining that we've defined is different uh, from training from scratch because it's done fast. In a matter of a couple of minutes, we can show that you can actually, like in, in a matter of 15 minutes, you can take an AI model that we pre-trained and train that on your data set and get the performance that you expect. So instead of like days of training over many GPUs and CPUs, you can take our pre-trained model and turn the retraining feature on, on your data set for 15 to 16 minutes, and then get the performance you want. So yes, we provide that option for users for some of our models on our platform, but Monty is not a training platform. So we have tried to take care of that part of the data science process. So we have um, generalizable AI models, easy to use, just plug in and play. You've ta- you talked a bit about how to pair explainability with fairness to reduce uh, uh, the risk of bias. Can you talk a little bit more about how you approach that? Bias happens when the model is relying on few features more than the other features. So in other words, let's say if, if, if the picture in case of like a cat in front of a building, if the model is overly reliant on the pixels occupying the building in the image, then you're biased toward that. Uh, when it comes to the case of features such as male, female, age, um, income, if your model is overly reliant on income, then all the predictions are overly affected by income, and hence you're biased toward that. Um, so there are a couple of ways of solving this problem. One is the training approaches that we developed at Modsy, uh, where we make sure that the model is not overly reliant on a specific feature. Um, so the way we train, we just not we don't just train for performance; we we train for other. Um, qualities as well, um, making sure it's not biased, the model is not biased. Another way of doing this is just using prior knowledge. So one of the things that people are working on in the field of AI at this point is how do you use Bayesian statistics? How do you use prior knowledge to fuel the predictions that your AI model makes? Because a lot of these models are as good as their data sets. And these data sets are data sets that we have created as a society over the last 100 years. And there are biases associated with a lot of these data sets. And we are training our models on the data sets that are innately biased. So no matter how good you train a model, you're going to still deal with some level of bias. And um, one way of solving that problem is to have this prior knowledge um, and add that uh, to the predictions made. So the model can make its own prediction, but then we can use a Bayesian prior framework 
to use our what our prior knowledge of society and how the unfairness and the bias in innate in our data set to fuel that prediction so the final prediction is less biased. Um, so that's one of the other ways of dealing with bias. Um, explainability, again, helps because if you can explain how the model is making the prediction it's making and how it's biased across different ethnicities, different data sets, different income, and different uh, genders, then you can also explain, uh, then you can also use that explainability to fuel your, your Bayesian view or your prior knowledge. And then again, it's, it's, it's a feedback um, approach where you can use explainability to create your prior distribution or your Bayesian view of the world. And then you can use that to fuel the predictions of the AI model. Can you give me an example of how you might use prior knowledge to reduce bias? Uh, I'm thinking of perhaps a, a recruiting system where you're trying to uh, use AI in a recruiting process to reduce the bias of hiring that's been historical. There's some level of prior knowledge of the way things were done in the past, but the way things were done in the past actually is where the bias exists. Yes. How can we, are, are you saying that we might be able to apply Bayesian statistics to remove the bias from the past? Not to entirely remove it, but to um, deal with it, to decrease it. Okay. Um, this is where computer scientists and engineers like myself need people from other fields to come in and teach us how to do that. Um, so, so like, um, this is a really more of a question for philosophy and sociology and humanities and other fields than computer scientists. Uh, but basically, in a case of like recruitment, you can, you can, you can have someone who is an expert in this field, uh, tell you what type of bias exists in the data set. And then what type of features are biased and what are, where to look basically, where your model may be making mistakes. And then you can, again, this becomes a math problem. You can, you can look at the numbers and look at how that bias exists in your data set and just assign different weights, different values, different features to enforce that more fair view of um, or fair prediction or decision-making process. So this is like more of a holistic problem to solve, not just for computer scientists, but also people from other fields that have um, that have more experience uh, with this type of bias. But, but a, 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 a teamwork like that, then you can actually change these features, either eliminate them or assign different weights to different features to make sure um, they're not the dominant factors affecting the decisions or prediction. That aligns pretty well with the practice that we have of uh, working through ethics as a core part of the design of an AI system up front. So we have a, a series of, of uh, toolkits and canvases that people work through to understand where there may, in this case, be issues of bias that have existed in the past or issues of bias that might come up based on the data that's being used and using that as a feeder into the development process. Exactly. So kind of getting at what you're saying, which is bringing in a, uh, a group of people of many different types of backgrounds, many different types of expertise across a company 
um, to be working with the data science team, not uh, relying on the data science team to know everything exactly. uh, and be able to solve all problems by themselves. Exactly. And that, that group can be your prior. That group can be your Bayesian framework. Um, they can provide the context in which the AI model is allowed to perform and make predictions. Understood. That's very interesting. So you also talk uh, a bit about issues of inclusivity and how to increase uh, inclusivity in, uh, in the models. Um, can you talk about some of the techniques that you're, that you're researching now or that you find to be most interesting? There are different ways of doing this. So one of the, so for example, for facial detection models, they're usually biased toward a specific ethnicity. Mm -hmm. There are ways of changing the pixels. So the, 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 that, so the, again, this is another feature. Instead of male, male, female or income level, color of skin can be another feature. It's another number that you can change. To make sure the decisions are, the, for example, if you're detecting faces, you're detecting faces more based on shape than color, um, or based on hair texture than color, or different features. So there are ways of actually changing the pixels or noising the image so that the color of skin is not as important as other filter, other features in the image. And also there are ways of like, again, the training approaches that we are developing at Modzi, there are ways of making sure that your model doesn't just look at skin color. It's looking at the context and hair and, and the shape of someone's face and the context of that, uh, that image, the background, everything to make sure that that bias does not happen. Uh, there was a, there was a, a project that was a, called ImageNet Roulette. Yeah. This was, uh, I found it to be quite interesting to be able to, to, to look at how the ImageNet uh, database was labeled. And uh, for those who didn't have access to it, it was a fantastic system that has unfortunately now been removed. But it allowed you to put a picture of yourself into the, into the um, system that was used and get your image back tagged based on the knowledge that was in the ImageNet system. When I put a picture of myself in, uh, into the system, I got back the tags, the normal ones you'd expect and male and et cetera, et cetera. But also the, the, the highlight ones were the, uh, creep and weirdo. And although that was quite amusing for children, um, uh, it was, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. And it took a while until we had a conversation a couple of months ago with someone who had uh, been uh, at IBM and had looked at a lot of these data. And his theory was that ImageNet was originally started to be classified uh, after 9-11, and it was used as a system for national security. And the fact that I have a beard would have been, would have pulled out some level of negativity in the system based on the fact that they were tagging, looking for people who had beards uh, and tagging them with some sort of negative connotation based on that era and that idea. Yes. So the, the, I would make one comment. I think as a, as a, as a field, we should deviate or keep away from predictions like that. You don't need to like classify faces into those do not need to be your labels creep or not creep or like those are subjective um, qualities that AI and math are not built for. 
so the problem with, with models like that, and there are people doing research in areas like that, is that you're predicting something very subjective that you cannot scientifically prove. And that's not the goal of AI or data science. Data science is a science. And as long as you can make scientific predictions, um, you can use data science. But when it comes to uh, subjective qualities and properties to predict about an input, I, I would keep away from that. It's not only just a problem of learning, it's also a problem of labeling. All these data sets are labeled by humans. They are, these are supervised models. So who are you going to put in place to lead that labeling process, to look at someone's image and decide if, if they look scary or not? Um, you're introducing bias into the data, which then is exploding through your training and uh, learning platform. And now you have an AI model that's biased because the whole process is biased. Um, so those are things that there are, it's, I, I foresee that in the future, there, there's going to be a big backlash against this type of work. And it's not really what data science as a field needs to do. You're definitely highlighting a core issue in how different companies and people want to apply AI, right? So you have a look at recruiting systems are, are, are solving for, in many ways, subjective outcomes, yes. right? It, was this person a good cultural fit with a company? Exactly. Um, did they, did, uh, it's based on data, based on who was rewarded in annual reviews. And, and some of that kind of review in certain jobs can be white, black and white fact-based, exactly. but a lot of it is quite subjective. Yes. You look at uh, systems that are helping customer service reps take care of people and responding to whether they think the person on the phone is satisfied or happy or whether they're nervous. Some of that is, again, can be truly fact-based um, and, and, and have a clinical answer, but some of it is just purely subjective. Sometimes, um, sometimes we forget that all these predictions come with a probability estimation, um, which is this is a picture of a cat, 80%, I'm confident. Um, so there's always a 20% chance that you are not right. And we have to decide as a society whether we want to take a model that is going to be 20% wrong and apply that model into crucial use cases and applications out there that really affect people's lives. Um, so that's, that's really a, a question that we have to answer as a, as a society. It's not a data science question. It's a bigger than uh, data science AI question. It's, it's politics, it's philosophy, it's, it's, it's our history. So we have to come together and decide how far we want to go in terms of automation using AI. And that's a question that's going to be asked many times in the next four or five years. And it's an answer that we have to come, come up with as a society, not just data scientists, but also everyone else. I, I appreciate you saying that. I the my the outcome of my trial of the ImageNet system, and uh, just a, a thanks and shout out to Kate Crawford and Trevor Bagland for setting that up, left me wondering what would happen if one of my children's schools was using an image recognition system. Exactly. And uh, someone as a parent might want to have the school have a system that would exclude people who were tagged as creeps and weirdos. You generally don't want creeps and weirdos walking around schools, but that would also exclude me from going and picking up my child. Yes. And so how do we handle, as you say, the probability? 
So that system has flaws in the way that the data is labeled. That's one of the reasons why they exposed this. They wanted to show the archaeology of where that data came from, where those predictions came from. So there's an issue there, but then also beyond that, there's a probability. There might be some probability that I'm a creep and a weirdo, but how do we as a society use that probability well? How do we apply it in a way that's useful? Exactly. And um, one important thing to note is that the, the data sets themselves, how they're labeled, they're subjective. Um, they're actual people sitting behind their laptops labeling these data sets. So not only do you have a prediction that tells you 80%, this is my prediction, and there's a 20% chance that I'm wrong, but there is also this bias in the input. Maybe the label itself is wrong. So it's like this accumulating error that, that's in the AI system that we have to like be able to model and deal with. Um, and that, that's what we do at Modsy. We make sure that, for example, we are maintaining our models over time. So we keep retraining, we keep improving our data sets, and we keep improving our models. We make sure that we use explainability to explain these outcome, outcomes. So like that probability of a prediction is more understandable by our users. We make sure we train in a way so that we, our model can learn more like what we would expect it to learn. And like the combination of all these subfields then hopefully will lead you to a point where you have more resilient, less biased, and overall better models, AI models. You're reminding me of one of my favorite quotes. I think it was the British uh, statistician, George Box, who said that all models are wrong, but some are useful. Exactly. And it's not necessarily that these models are wrong, but that probabilities, therefore, allow for a certain amount of times when it is wrong. And we have to accept that there is an error rate in a probability. That's a fundamental part of the math but try to find a way to make that probability still useful in a way that is not just good for the bottom line of a company, but it's good for all of the people that are related to the prediction. And have this view in mind that AI is really there to augment your processes. In many cases, it's not there to replace you as the person who's the final deciding person making the final call on a decision. Um, so if you start with that view, where we use AI to augment our processes, then you have the supervision of someone who, who a human being who can sit there and look at the predictions and make sure that there is no bias affecting the final result and consequently affecting someone's life, really. There are many cases where you can use AI to automate processes, but when it comes to specific use cases such as recruitment, any HR-related work, admission to schools, most of finance-related tasks, there is, there is a need for someone to supervise the AI process. The human has to be in charge of the AI. Exactly. We refer to AI frequently as machine employees to help people think about, about managing the machine as you would an employee. Exactly. There's someone who's this, it's doing a task, it's going to get some things right, it's going to get some things wrong. And so who's the manager? Who's responsible for that right and wrong? Exactly. 
an employee with one or two years of experience, not 10 years of experience. That's a brilliant point. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. This has been a really fan, a really great conversation. I very much appreciate it. I, I feel like we've just scratched the surface and I, I'd like to have a few more hours to keep digging in. But I, I, I very much appreciate your time. Uh, I really uh, enjoy the the, the, the cross section and the and the overlap of our perspectives on this. It's been uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Same here. Uh, thanks for having me. 